Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing. I'm your host Manuel Feit and yeah. As always, joined by Stefan Bienkowski. Stefan, um, we had quite a week. <laughs> <laughs> you, you could say that again. Uh, I assume you got home all right. Um, you should have just stayed in Berlin and gone to the final. <laughs> I had a ticket. Well, I had an extra I had, ticket. <laughs> I, I, would have, I would have considered it. I would have considered it. But uh, at that point, uh, so just a kind of quick recap for the listeners. Uh, I woke up at 7 a.m. on, what was it, Friday morning. Uh, woke up by absolute chance, by the way, an hour and a half before my alarm was supposed to go off uh, to find out that my flight home had been cancelled. So before I'd even woken up and brushed my teeth for the day, uh, I booked a fl- train to Berlin and a flight home via uh Berlin Brandenburg Airport, which, by the way, is fantastic. First time I've been there. Yeah. Uh, why did why why is everyone complaining about this crappy old airport outside Berlin when no, they've no, got the, this the, lovely shiny one? The problem is that this this airport that you were at was supposed to be opened in 2010, and oh, it opened well, last it, year. It, <laughs> yeah. Well, it does it does look like it was open last year. It was lovely, bright. You know, it's really nice inside actually. But um, yeah, excellent. Um, so yeah, I got home eventually, but yeah, I had to, uh, unfortunately I had to get home because I was actually viewing a house on Saturday. So I don't think the missus would have appreciated me just bunging off for the weekend to spend a couple more days in Berlin, but oh well, you know, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but you've also had a very busy week. You've, uh, yeah, I mean, probably- I also flew home from Berlin, um, to Munich, not home, home, um, to my my other home, I guess in Munich, and um, yeah, it's a it, the airport. As first time I've done this airport. Um, usually, I take the train back from Berlin, but I was so curious to see this airport that cost by tax that cost us so much tax money and was delayed by over ten years that I really wanted <laughs> to check it out. And you're quite right; it is actually quite nice. I mean, um, it better be for that price, but it was actually quite <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been a it was a busy week it was actually you know to be honest i i had some regrets flying home because um the game and we're going to talk about it in the detail of course the game went into overtime and then i didn't get out of the stadium till 1 30 because of i i wrote an article and some social media stuff for for transfermarkt as well right and so you know how it is you, it takes quite some time to actually leave the arena but then unfortunately the freiburg fans also decided not to leave so I got into an U-Bahn with Luca Waldschmidt, by the way, um, who also took the U-Bahn, good for him. Um, I guess was at the at the game for Perform. And uh, a bunch of Freiburg fans who decided that hopping on the U-Bahn is a fun sport, um, and which, of course, meant that at every station we stopped for about three or four minutes longer than we're supposed to. So it took me an hour and a half to get to the hotel. At that point, it was 2.30-ish. And then I had to get up at 4.30 to get to the airport. So, yeah, it was just, it was not a long sleep. 
<laughs> the joys of traveling for work, yeah. Oh man, yeah. So it's never quite as glamorous as it's made out to be. My 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 missus, uh, she still hasn't left the country since the pandemic, and I've been back to Germany twice in that time, and she's always saying, "Well, hey, at least you get to go somewhere." And I'm like, "Look, <laughs> traveling for work is never a holiday. You, I could I could be going to Paris, and I probably wouldn't get one snap of the Eiffel Tower because that's just what it's like when you travel well, to work. How, in a how hotel. much did you see of Hamburg? Very, very little. We saw a pretty cool bar where we watched the yeah. Europa League final, but uh, I think that was probably the gist of it. A nice Turkish restaurant as well at one yeah. point. But <laughs> We just spent the entire time at Wandsbeck. Um, not the most glamorous <laughs> part of Hamburg either. Um, but yeah, it's true. You don't really get to see much. Berlin, I, I had a little bit of time and I walked around. Um, and I on the last day when you were already gone from Hamburg, I, I went down to the Landungsbrücken to have a... Uh, Gebackene fish semmel, hmm. and um, they were so good. I had two of them and some beer, and then um, went to watch the, one of the relegation playoffs. Um, but yeah, we have a lot to talk about. So I, I guess we should talk about some of these things that we already alluded to after this break. This episode of the Game Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA and NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BELIEVE, that is BELIEVE. B-L-E-A-V to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Yeah, um, you mentioned it. We were in Hamburg um, for the Europa League final. I think both of us really wanted to go, but um, there were some really important things that we had to do. But we got to watch the game together in this tiny little bar um people were smoking i'm sure even though that's illegal in germany now in bars i don't think they cared very much about it didn't take cash either um when we suggested that people were paying with cards where we live i think we got the most disgusting look and comment that you can possibly imagine stefan uh <laughs> it's very old school Lovely. Not just card. Not just pay with card. I paid with. I haven't paid with anything but my iPhone for yeah. the last sixteen months or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, that kind of technology had not arrived at that uh, that particular <laughs> bar in Wandsbeck, which was literally just a hallway put into a building with a bar on the left and a couple of screens coming from the from the from the ceiling. Um, the, getting to the bathroom, I, I'm pretty sure the bathroom was actually our underneath our HQ. That's how far down it was. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so we did it a very old school way. Um, what a great night. What a great game. Definitely. Yeah, fantastic game. We really enjoyed it. Um, it was an end to end match to extend. I know both teams are kind of defensive in their style, but I actually thought Frankfurt were very attacking. Rangers did what they could on the ball. Um, and it was a really thrilling game i was just you know I, I, t- I tweeted this at the time and i know this will feel like ancient history now to anyone listening to the podcast because it was 
almost a week ago, uh, which just shows how much has happened since then. But I tweeted it on the night that UEFA could not have locked out more for this final. The stadium looked splendid with the blue and the white of, from both sets of fans. From where the, where the cameras angled, I know, I, I know the main stand was probably full of corporate tickets, but at least the other three stands that were on television were just rammed full of genuine fans. And that's kind of what you want. A cup final. It was a great. It was just great to watch on television. The football was fine. It's obviously not a classic, but um, I don't know. I just, I just really enjoyed it. And just the drama of it going all the way to penalties. I, I thought, I thought Frankfurt were the better team over the ninety minutes. I thought Rangers actually had moments to win the game uh, in extra time. Uh, and Kevin Trapp did what Kevin Trapp does, pulled off some great saves, and then uh, you know, obviously Frankfurt went on to win through penalties the penalties were outstanding except for obviously Aaron Ramsey's and as I was saying to you Manu at the time I was really surprised that he got picked for the penalties because he has been you know he's been nothing but a deflated balloon since he arrived at Rangers Um, completely unreliable and for him to be kind of brought on just to take a penalty after not even touching the ball just seemed like a real mix up from Giovan Bronkost bad coaching great Great for Frankfurt, great night for the Europa League, uh, and a great night for German football. Yeah, I can finally put the stupid uh, stat to bed that I kept banging on about. Um, I won't mention it again, so it can, it's <laughs> it's dead. It's no, it's dead now, uh, and I don't think it's going to be another twenty five years that um, that we have to wait for teams to win this trophy. Because I think if anything, uh, or German teams have to win this trophy, because it, I think Frankfurt's Europa League run. With everything that happened afterwards, and the media echo it got, and the attention it got worldwide, there will be a few teams in Germany looking at this and say, "Hmm, we should probably take this a bit more serious and mm. try to win this trophy every once in a while." Um, the likes of Leverkusen come to mind, right? Um, I think Freiburg, who are going to be in this competition next year. Um, they're not that different size-wise. Uh, you have an Union Berlin that have a fantastic stadium, a uh, great facility that could go deep. Every once in a while, you get one of the big teams that drop down from the Champions League, and uh, Sevilla has shown it that you that you can use that still to have a deep run. And once you get past the quarterfinal stages, you, there's a lot of money to be earned. Uh, Markus Grösche, the sporting director, was a doppelpass, uh, Sport 1 doppelpass um, on mm. Sunday. Uh, and they broke down how much this this win, because it also qualifies for them for the Champions League, and also of course means they're they're going to be playing uh, the UEFA Super Cup. It's going to at least generate them sixty million euros just by winning it. Yeah. So that's all the Crazy. money from from being going deep into Europa League competition. But even just taking part at the Super Cup is five million euros, um, which I didn't know. It's quite a lot of money. Um, and then Champions League, of course, just participating is, I think, 23. And yeah, um, yeah and going deep in the Europa League is about 30. Um, so, you know, that's well done. <laughs> that's, um, of course, Kroosje then pointed out that, unfortunately, the taxman will take some of this money. But still, you know, that's, 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 a, good, that's, that's a good chunk of money that uh, for a team that finished ninth in the Bundesliga... <laughs> <laughs> I am pretty sure they're pretty happy to take that. 
yeah i mean in typical frankfurt fashion they're complaining about taxes you know uh, <laughs> yeah. typical bank typical bankers uh but yeah no it's a, it, i was gonna say a life changing sum of money so i wouldn't really go that far but it would improve the club's standing immensely um just in terms of going into this transfer window which i think will probably be quite a busy one for frankfurt uh Kostic was obviously a player linked to leave. He's now potentially staying because they're in the Champions League. And I think there'll be a lot of players in that squad who'll feel the same way. There'll be a lot of players who would have were thinking twice about moving to Frankfurt who'll now think, well, I get to play Champions League football. It's a huge, it's a huge thing. Uh if the, a club playing in the Champions League opens up so much of the transfer market to them. Yeah. Um you know, uh it's it's something that Borussia Dortmund have managed to capitalize on for so some time now. Eric Ten Hag was announced as Man United manager today, and it's one of the first things he said. He said, "Look, we cannot build the squad we want to build if we can't give these guys Champions League football." And it's mm. and it's as true for Man United as it is for Frankfurt, who have ambitions of being a top six, maybe even a top four side in Germany, yeah. or they should be anyway. Um, so it's very exciting for them, um, and it now means. <laughs> I was going to say this is maybe an interesting segue, although we've still got one more thing to talk about. But I was going to say the one remaining head coach, except for Julian Nagelsmann, who uh, moved and has managed to keep his job uh, from the Bundesliga carousel of coaches in the summer. Uh, it means he gets to keep his job and kind of push on and see where he can take his Frankfurt side. I would really like to see him do a bit better in the Bundesliga season. I know yeah. their final league position was because... You know they they avoided relegation and they had nothing left to play for, so they weren't as bad as their final position suggests. But it'd be great if Frankfurt could legitimately qualify through Europe uh, through traditional means rather than just winning the Europa League every year uh, next season. Because I think the squad on the whole still needs to do a lot better than Bundesliga. You know, a win like that can be a huge catalyst for a club. Um, I've pointed this out, I think, before on the show and. In 1992-93, uh, Dortmund reached the final with the UEFA Cup. They lost that final to Juventus. Um, a Juventus side with Andy Müller, of course, who then played for Dortmund later on and mm. before that. And um, But what it did, I think, I, I don't have the exact numbers in my head or in front of me, but I think they earned about 50 million Deutschmark at the time going so deep in this competition. Of course, UEFA Cup was a very different competition than it is today, right? in terms mm. of what you made money because it was actually a legitimate competition because every year you were playing against teams like Milan, Juventus, etc. because they, you know, only the, the winner went into the the, the, the uh, old European Cup. Um, and even the first uh, first um, first uh, Champions League seasons was only just the winner and then it was the second place team was added in the third and the fourth. Um, so they made very good money from this and in many ways it actually created the club that Dortmund is today. Yes, there was a bankruptcy in between um, and they, they recovered from that, obviously. But, you know, the brand and the size of the brand is very much, um, very much originates from that time period. And the players that they then added, added on later on and helped them win the Champions League in 1997, just five, four seasons later, um, you know, that all came from that money. And which is the, my point is here that winning a, or going deep in a competition, or in Frankfurt's case, because they won it, and which means they they now qualified for the Champions League, which is essentially you know the, it's it is a good parallel to this. Um, it can open doors up and really move the club into um, the next category. And I've said this I think since the beginning of this podcast. When we look around Germany, 
and you look at another team that could legitimately challenge that top four, top five that we have now, and maybe even challenge, become the next Dortmund in German football, Frankfurt is the only natural candidate um, because of the size of the city, the corporate size of the city, which is very important mm-hmm. as well, right? Because you need sponsors. That's the reality of it. I mean, we all banked on and how great the fans are at Frankfurt, how great it is that they travel with the team, how wonderful it is that they're a club member, the membership run club. But in the end of the day, they also play the Deutsche Bank Arena and all the, the members of the board, <laughs> um, big personalities, the banking industry. And if a, their team wins, they can go to their buddies and say, how about we're going to sponsor? How about we're going to put your bank slogan on the next jersey for X yeah. amount of money? Let's see. That's the reality. Corporate corporate money plays a huge role in this game. You know, even if some people don't like to hear it, and mm. um, I, I can for me, Frankfurt was always the natural candidate of the natural grown clubs. Obviously, there's Leipzig. Not, don't quite fall into that category to actually become a challenger for Dortmund and Bayern. And I think mm. this could maybe do it. They're still a few years away from it because they have to confirm it, right? But I mm. think this this might do it. Yeah, you know, if you look at the way that Bayern Munich have evolved into the biggest club in Germany over the last 30 or 40 years, uh, this is just my theory, but I don't think it really comes down to just a success on the pitch and the fact that they were able to win more prize money from other clubs or because they had more fans than Borussia Dortmund and every week or Schalke or whatever else. It's because of where they are geographically. They are they are a big fish in a big pond, uh, and that pond is called Bavaria. And within Bavaria is a very rich area with huge number of multinational companies and where Bayern Munich get their leg up over the competition in, in, in Germany is the fact that they have Audi, BMW, you know, Allianz or whatever you want to call it, whoever else. Um, yeah. And they, our, and these, Audi and Allianz, of course, uh, bought shares and are yeah. sitting on the board, right? Exactly. And, you know, Dortmund obviously do have the sponsors as well, don't get me wrong, but historically they haven't had that same um partnership with the local company because they are local companies in the same city that have gone on to become some of the biggest companies in the world so that's i think how how bayern have not not unfairly and not unnaturally but how they've managed to develop into a super club you know mm. and if you kind of look around Germany, there are certain places in the country that can maybe foster a club like that. Berlin is probably a good example of that, where obviously Hertha had grand ambitions of being that club. Maybe Union Berlin can. Um, Hamburg, I feel, is always yeah. a place like that too, where there's so much money and so many big companies, but the club itself still seemed like a very kind of regionalized club, unfortunately. Um, and Frankfurt as you said, our perfect example that Frankfurt as a city is one that can rival Munich in terms of, you know, its local economy, the money made from local businesses and multinational companies that are based there. Uh, and if Frankfurt can kind of jump on that gravy train in the same way that Bayern have for the last 20 or 30 years, then they could develop into a club that don't struggle to compete with them financially. Um, but it's, it's a chicken and the egg thing. You have to have success on the pitch to interest the sponsors, to build up that culture and of intrigue from local businesses. But you also have to have that sponsorship money, sponsorship money from the businesses 
uh, to buy the players and to develop. And that's obviously something that Bayern Munich have done remarkably well. And that's why they are known as, you know, the best run super club in the world. Mm. Uh, but I guess a club like Frankfurt, they could use this moment to kind of get a leg up and see where they can, where that can take them. The two richest municipalities in Germany, one of them is outside of Munich and one of them is outside of Frankfurt. Mm. Um you know, in the, sub, in the respective suburbs. And I think that tells you everything you need to know about the financial wealth of the two cities. Um, I, I'm 100% with you. The, 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 the financial powers to be in Germany are concentrated in those two places. And um, Frankfurt, I think, can do quite well with the money that they've earned and the reputation that they've earned to, to go now to some of these um, huge corporate structures that are within their city and say, wouldn't it be nice if your name is associated with the Eagles and all the success and the traveling around the world and, um, you know, um, maybe you can buy some shares or help us renovate the stadium and make the stadium bigger. And I think Deutsche Bank um, is a good example. Like that's where they play. They play in the Deutsche Bank Arena, right? So, mm. um, yeah, I think there, there's a lot to be said about this. I do think um, we need to make this transition now to the other final. Uh, the final that kept me up all night and uh, <laughs> up late and short sleep. And boy, I slept well last night, Stefan. When I finally did end up in bed, uh, I had a very good sleep. Um, and today, thankfully, it's, even though I'm in Germany, I have Canadian holidays. So I'm off today, which is really nice. And uh, got to just hang out, relax a little bit. But the German Cup final, um, speaking about corporate, <sighs> a lot of outrage during the game, after the game, before the game. Um, a part of me kind of feels feels like this is like ripping off the Band-Aid. And we, instead of just ripping it off quickly, RB Leipzig had chosen to peel it off slowly because this was their third final. And um, I guess the first two were against Bayern and Dortmund. So we didn't have really that huge contrast of culture, mm. right? Uh, but this one was against Sportclub Freiburg, tiny little Sportclub Freiburg. I, I feel like the entire village was in Berlin, to be quite honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> there were so many of them, and they, they were great. Absolutely wonderful fans. Huge shout out to them. I think they were fantastic. Um, and they were be way better than the Leipzig fans. And I, I, I guess that is because they're so well integrated in that city. They have a long history. They have the most interesting head coach in German football. And Christian Streich, who just had was full of quotes in the post game. Uh, it was wonderful just listening to him, and always nice to listen to him against this. Um, and it is a marketing construct. That's how it was founded, right? But in a city mm. that is also the, one of the wealthiest in in Germany, um, because of the money that flew, was flowing into it after the fall of the Berlin Wall, and um, you know, there's a lot of big corporations that decided to go to Leipzig rather than. Dresden because it's so well connected. It has a, has the DHL hub for Germany is at the airport because it has the longest runway in uh, in Germany. All the airports and then of course Porsche is there. Um, I think Audi is there as well. Um, a bunch of other companies that have decided to make it. it. It's East German HQ. So there's a lot of corporate money there as well, which Leipzig on top of their owner slash sponsor uh, benefit from. But it took three finals for them to finally win it. And I feel like that almost accumulated the hate a little bit more. Because I think if they had just won the first one or maybe won a Meisterschaft right away, the Band-Aid would have stripped off. You would still have all the protestations and everything. But it felt like it was a slow relief, Stefan, uh, release. on, And it just 
I mean, Twitter isn't the world. In fact, 200 million people are on Twitter. We have over 8 billion people on the planet. So it's not real reflection of what's going on in the real world. But oh, the outrage, the outrage. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. So I actually missed this game. Uh, I just admit that off the top of my head because of the aforementioned house I was viewing. So by the time I got home, uh, made myself some dinner, had a glass of wine, the match was already over. Um, so I kind of sat down to view all these kind of tweets and stuff and we were kind of laughing about it. And obviously the huge narrative around this game was the fact that it was one of, you know, German football's most traditional clubs, a club that embody everything that people love about German football. Rightfully um, so. Rightfully so. Yeah, absolutely. And they are the darlings of, yeah. they're the darlings of German football. Um, against RB Leipzig, who are the pre- proverbial bad guys. And, you know, I think that's fine. But, and we've talked about this before. We talked about this a few weeks ago, actually, when there was a huge debate about the 50 plus one thing. And it just kind of strikes me that so many people took Leipzig's victory as some sort of, you know, I don't know, like act of war. End against... of German football. yeah. And it's and this is this is kind of what we said when we had this fifty plus one debate a few weeks ago. There's this real genuine fear amongst some commentators within German football that there's some um, horrible, nefarious backstreet movement to get rid of fifty plus one, and. I just don't really think it exists, to be perfectly honest with you. From time to time, don't get me wrong, from time to time, a club president, sporting director, a pundit might pop up and say, oh, you know what, I'm a bit bored of Bayern winning everything. Maybe we should reconsider 50 plus one. But I've, I've, I've really have struggled to see any consistent movement to genuinely get rid of it. I don't think the people at DFL... Uh, or you know the offices, the, the Bundesliga offices in Cologne, uh, are really sitting there, kind of shaking in their boots at the thought of, you know, a team of lawyers kicking the front door and explaining why they have to go to fifty plus one. I just don't think it exists. So, I think I, I, I do wonder if some people just kind of really latch on to that to legitimise their criticisms of Leipzig, and. I don't know. I just I'm not sure how much weight it carries. To be perfectly honest with you, I'm not even entirely sure Leipzig have much of a movement or have really strong views on getting rid of fifty plus one. Mm. Now, of course, you could argue that they don't need to because they managed to circumvent it, which is absolutely fair criticism. But I don't think Leipzig winning the Bundesliga, well, not winning the Bundesliga, that's that's yet to come, perhaps. But then winning the Pokal legitimizes uh, any great movement to get rid of 50 plus one. I don't think it legitimizes concept that clubs need to get rid of 50 plus one to succeed. Um, and, but I just think overall, I just think like this is a real, it's a storm in a teacup um, or better yet to kind of use a more Twitter analogy. It's an echo chamber. It's just, it's just certain people who really care deeply about German football to the point where I think some people look for kind of hidden meaning in the in the league. And this is a weird thing to admit on a German football podcast where people from around the world uh, listen in to hear what we have to say and we are eternally grateful for people to do that. But you do come across some people on Twitter 
who are not from Germany who treat German football as if it's some spiritual awakening, as if it's some sort of religion, as if it's some sort of way of life. Um, and it's not that. It's, it's not trying to be that. I don't think it's healthy to try and apply that kind of meaning to what is a, a sports industry. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's, I, I just found the reaction to it very weird, and I had to really bite my lip because there was a few people talking about it. I thought, well, I could really jump in here, but so yeah, I had a few glasses of wine. Not best yeah, one. I'm going to enjoy the rest of my Saturday, and I'm just going to get on with my night, but... It, yeah. it seemed weird. I, I completely understand people's... I understand the, the, the critiques of RB Leipzig. I understand why rival fans don't like them. I understand the anger over how they were allowed to succeed, but I don't really see them as the harbingers of this new world without 50 plus one. I don't, I don't think it's the beginning of the end of German football as we know it. Oh, of course not. I mean, you know, RB Leipzig won the Pokal lifted the Pokal, put some Red Bull into the Pokal, and the next day the sun came up and everyone moved on with the business as it always is. You know, that's, <laughs> I didn't wake up the next day and German football had died. <laughs> just, and not even a little bit, or it's not even a slow process because it's not co- you can't copy what Leipzig have done. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not something that can be copied because the, 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 laws, the laws of the... No one is going to be as good... A, you know, there's other investors that have tried to do some stuff like that before Leipzig and after Leipzig, and they haven't succeeded because it's extremely difficult. And um, I don't think because of Leipzig's victory, we're going to have this kind of corporate structure copied over and over again, because it takes not just money, it takes an enormous amount of expertise to get it right. And uh, I just don't see many investors having that sort of steadfastness to actually make it work. So that's why you know the sun came. The sun came up the next morning. It can tell you because I was awake for it, and um, the world moved on. Um, and I think the bokal will be just fine, whether you put in the uh, whether the liquid is from a corporate partner called Red Bull or a corporate partner called Bitburger. Who cares? In the end of the day, <laughs> it's just liquid. Um, I personally would prefer beer, but that's just me. Um, but you should talk a little bit about the final because I did actually think it was quite an interesting game. And I know you weren't there, so I'm just going to give it a quick sum up. And um, I really thought that Freiburg should have actually won this game at the end of the day because, you know, they had the lead. Um, they then didn't manage to really... Uh, until the 70th minute when Nkunku came out of nowhere. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see whether he's on Real Madrid's list, Stefan. Um, now that Mbappe is not going there. Um, I think there's going to be some rude awakening maybe there in Leipzig for that. But he comes out of nowhere and he he puts it across the line and um, then it goes into overtime, extra time. Even Oh, I should mention that Leipzig also were a man down, right? And we're, mm. had to work really, really hard for this game. And almost were better with a man down, which I actually thought was really interesting too. Um but then in extra time, Freiburg hit the post once and the, the crossbar twice. And then, of course, in penalties, then uh, the crossbar as well and one penalty over the bar uh, made the difference and Leipzig win it. But it was by no means an easy game for Leipzig at all. And I actually thought that Freiburg, and it was li- interesting listening to Streich post-match, uh, he said that it was almost the, the fear of winning this game that caused them to, end, to throw it away. Until like around the 60-minute mark, they were doing really well, and then they stopped 
progressing and hitting Leipzig um, with a man down more aggressively. And he said that can be all sorts of things, being tired. And I think both those teams were really tired. Um, it's another thing I noticed. And we spoke about um, Leipzig, of course, being tired because of the season that they had. And I think Freiburg as well. I, I saw them the week before in Leverkusen, right? And I thought they were tired there as well. And I think, you know, mistakes just happen in a big game like that. Yeah, exactly. And it's, and you know, at the end of the day, Leipzig do have a much better squad, have a better team than Freiburg. They were the favourites for the game. Um, and I, I also think, like, it's, it's, it's really important to not just kind of overlook the fact, just the sheer accomplishment of Freiburg reaching a final. Yeah. Um, it's so big for that club. It's It, it in itself is... Uh, you know, testament to Strike's remarkable ability to what I think is key attribute as a head coach is just his ability to continue to rebuild squads, continue to inspire young players. And we've seen his tactics and his system change with every group of players that he's had at that club. Um, and I think it just goes to show just his longevity and his consistency there to just continue rebuilding and rebuilding and rebuilding just goes to show how impressive it is. And of course, lifting the Pokal would have been a remarkable achievement, but reaching the final itself is also just incredible as well. Yeah. No, 100%. I, I loved his post-match comments. He said, um, I'm not mad. Um, when asked whether he was um, angry about losing the final, and he's like, I just don't have the energy for it. But I also felt that after a long season like this one, um, and the way we played, there is no reason to be mad. And then they asked him what he's going to do with his second place medal. And he said, I was thrown in a drawer where I have all my other stuff. And then he added, but I also would have put my winner medal there as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think he, he I think he, he's intelligent enough to know. I mean, also materially, it doesn't really yes winning a trophy is great um, and it gives you a little bit of extra money but at the end of the day it would have just been a Europa League spot which they already had hmm. right um, so yeah it's 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 a nice end to a good season for them I think and I don't think um, this is going to be the last time we're going to see them there no I think you're right but uh, we'll just have to wait and see you know what we're not going to see next season, though? Um, Ose at Dortmund. Or <laughs> Hoeneß at Hoffenheim. Or Hütter at Gladbach. And Kofeld at Wolfsburg. And we won't see Weinzierl at Augsburg either. That's five coaching changes in the last seven days. Um, for Wolfsburg, that was the second. Uh, yeah. Um, I think we, I, before we, we talk about Rose, g- give me a second here. I, I, we know Hoffenheim, Breitenreiter is going to be replace Hoeneß. Favre is the likely candidate at uh, Gladbach to replace her. That's not confirmed yet, at least not by the time we're recording this. Kovac coming back to the league to replace Kofeld. That could actually be quite a good move. Uh, Zeitler, the head coach of St. Gallen, will finish second in the Swiss Super League. Uh, is the likely candidate in Augsburg that's not confirmed um, or anywhere close to being done. But all these people are all coaches that we had in the league before, except for Zeidler. It's not very creative, is it? <laughs> yeah, this is a kind of bugbear of mine, which I've 
ranted about numerous times this season on Twitter that you know it's it's a common issue in German football, especially in these kind of mid table teams that just kind of tumble around from Europa League spot to relegation concerns. They just seem to hire and fire the exact same coaches over and over yeah. again. They swap they swap coaches like collect collectible cards. Mm. and nothing gets done. Lucien Favre, going back to Gladbach, must be... I mean, I know he had a good time of it last time, but that must be the most uninspiring coaching move in the last, what, 10 years of German football or something? Yeah, He's a perfectly good coach, seems like a perfectly nice guy, but come on. I mean, what, what's going on here? And it's, it's, it's a really weird thing, I find, actually. I was discussing this with Kevin Hatcher, actually, on Twitter on, on Saturday after um, Rosa got sacked and Terzic was announced as the head coach. And I think he was talking about the potential of Maurizio Pochettino possibly taking a job before Terzic was basically all but confirmed. Yeah. And someone brought up that, you know, he doesn't speak German. Uh, and that does seem to be a legitimate problem. And I'm actually not entirely sure why, because... If you actually think about the structure of a modern Bundesliga side, all but maybe a fair few of the minnows or the more traditional clubs who maybe haven't developed a marketing or you know bring in a lot of foreign players. But you walk around RB Leipzig, you walk around Leverkusen, you walk around Borussia Dortmund. Everyone is speaking English to each other. The players are speaking English to each other. The coaches, the German players, and to the, the players, the, the analysts aren't German. Yeah. A lot of the coaching staff aren't German, but. Yeah. For some reason, the head coach has to be German. Or German speaking. And, or German speaking, of course, sorry. Yeah. Um, and honestly, the only situation in which I can imagine that's the reason, I can only, the only job, the only facet of their job where I think they have to speak German is if they're speaking to the local press, which, again, mm. you'd think most of the journalists, at least most of the German journalists I've met speak English, but okay, fair enough. They wouldn't be too happy about having to translate quotes every week. But those guys aren't a priority for any head coach. I can assure you that. I can speak to that from first-hand experience. Head coaches and football clubs do not care about the the well-being of the local reporters. Um, And maybe the only other situation I can think of is you know, if they're going into a boardroom meeting or a meeting with their sporting director or the chairman or something. But again, these are things that can be done in English if they absolutely had to be done. Um, Bayern Munich have bent the rules in recent years. I know Carl Ancelotti learned German, but obviously he's not a fluent German speaker by any means. He talked at length about how difficult he found learning the language. Pep Guardiola, of course, is another one who, although he spoke German and learned German before he arrived at the club, you know, he was at a club that had a lot of Spanish speakers, a lot of English speakers. Yeah. And it just seems to me like something that a lot of these clubs completely overlook because if you're, and this is kind of something I talked about a few weeks ago when I was, I think it was Matt Ford I was maybe speaking to about it, mm. but going back and forth on this. And it, I actually tied it up with the gig impressing thing. And I said, if, 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 if the entire, I know this isn't true, but it, I know it's not as simplistic as this, but, every single team in the Bundesliga is playing some form of gig impressing, then the team that have the best players are always going to be the team that have the beat the team that have the worst players because they're both playing the same system. They're playing the same tactics. So, you know, more often than not, the result comes down to who has the better individual players. 
which is what Bayern Munich do. And it's something I've seen time and time again, where bottom half teams try, they, they arrive at Allianz Arena and they still try and play gig and press football. They try and, they try and attack, they try and close down and Bayern just kind of walk through them. And I've often thought, you know, it'd be really nice if one of these clubs just hired a really old-fashioned Italian head coach who sat, who turned around and said, you know what, I'm just going to play defensive football here. I'm not here to please the fans. I'm not here to please the Bundesliga. I'm here to scrape a point off Bayern Munich every time I play them. Um, and I know there are German clubs, I know there are German head coaches who do play defensive football. I know they don't all play gig and pressing football, but I do genuinely think there might be a kind of lack of variety in the league when it comes to tactics, coaching ideas. You know, I think... 15 years ago or so, 20 years ago, German football came up with a winning formula. Ralph Rangnick brought it through, Jurgen Klopp brought it through, Thomas Tuchel brought it through. And I think since then, a lot of head coaches in German football have came through academies, they came through universities, they came through just the clubs themselves. They were taught these tactics and they've just kind of relied on that ever since. And yeah. it doesn't... And if, if, and if, the, if the clubs are only going to hire from these pool of coaches, there's never going to be any new blood. There's never going to be any new ideas put into the pool of thought in German football. And it's not the biggest issue in German football by any means, but it's something that I have noticed. And when I see a club like Gladbach going back for the same player, the same head coaches, um, it makes me wonder if, you know, they're, if, if, they, if they really need to limit themselves in the way they have. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, I think Favre is obviously a little bit of a different direction um, than what they had under Hütter. It's going to be very interesting, I think, how he's going to do in his second um, second spell there. Um, and I do think you need to maybe bring in someone from outside because I think the last coach brought in someone from outside. And even he adapted to this form of gigging pressing was Pep Guardiola. Um, and even he changed his way of football. I think that the football that he now plays at Man City is different than what he played with um, with Barcelona. And I think he probably went to Bayern first to incorporate these ideas um, and use them in England because I think it would have been very hard for him to, to take that system one-to-one and make it work in England. So he went to Germany first and incorporated that and now he's um, destroying the Premier League with it. Um but he was probably the last one who gave it a little bit of extra, right? And mm. maybe Lucien Favre did as well, but we never really had a revolutionary coach to change the way we think about the game since Rangnick. It's been Rangnick mm. football ever since. And yeah. um, I, I think that's an important point because Rangnick, of course, was the guy who was called a professor. People called him all sorts of things and believe he's this arrogant personality because he had the guts to go on German television and preach a back four, right? Um, because Germany wasn't playing a back four in the early 2000s. They were still playing with a Libero. And, uh, <laughs> and um, I, I wonder where this personality is going to emerge from and say, by the way, if we play this way, all these other systems that we have in the league are going to be redundant and we're going, we're going to be able to win a title. I mean, club a little bit did that right but then unfortunately for him he was Bayern Munich was able to emulate what he did right um and I mean, that's the reality then that the team of the better finances wins um you see this everywhere um including in the Premier League of course and in La Liga and Serie A where 
where the structures are a little bit open up, but money still wins. And um, I think we need someone like Klopp or Rangnick to come into this league and teach one of those teams that are behind Bayern a new way of playing to just break up the structure a little bit for a couple of years. And um, I'm not sure Terzic is that guy uh, at Dortmund to do that. Uh, I think it's just more of the same. Uh, he's, of course, the local guy. He's just As we walked on this podcast, of course, we knew both you and I knew his resources that this deal was more or less done. Um, but uh, as we walked on this podcast, it was confirmed. And um, I'm just not sure this is the creative solution that will get Dortmund there. Um, I think it's an easy solution for them. It's someone who is very liked by the fans. I think it's someone who does play a very aggressive style of heavy metal football, similar to Klopp. I mean, here we go again talking about Klopp, right? Um, so I'm not sure. Before your thoughts on Terzic, there is a point that you brought up that I thought was really interesting, and that was speaking to the press. I do think that that might play a role. And I, I think about Trapattoni and also Guardiola, who quite struggled here at times with mm. the press because of his language barrier. And at some point, and Guardiola, of course, was a bad different time. People at, at that point were mostly communicating already in English or were able to communicate in English if they were with the press. Um, so Guardiola, I think at some point, even switched over to English. But I do think that's an interesting point because I do know that Trapattoni, his first time around at Bayern, that was the reason he failed, was the German... And then he came. He went back to Italy and then learned uh, German. He came back for a second spell where he did win the German title with um, with Bayern Munich at a time where Bayern Munich wasn't assured to win every year. Uh, it was quite hard back then. So I do wonder if that does actually play a role, because I think the press treats you differently. And if you're one of the big clubs and you are not necessarily able to communicate with them, you know how close it is here. You go to the pro post play press conference, and after the press conference. The, the, the coach takes aside a select bunch of journalists and you get to talk to them off the record, right? In German football, which is, mm. I think, very different than it is in England. And I do wonder if a coach or a sporting director does not do that. And in fact, I know of a few examples where that has happened, where um, a sporting director or a coach has opted not to talk off the record with the press post-press conference. And there is some coaches in German football who even meet with the press once a week to do a card game or have a couple of beers where they talk off the record. And I do wonder if, if you're a foreign coach who does not speak the language and doesn't understand that little bit of cultural tidbit about the German, about how it's supposed to be in German football. I do wonder if that is a factor. I just wonder. Mm. Yeah, I can, I can completely understand that from, you know, a Freiburg or... Greuterfurt or a Mainz or, you know, these clubs who really rely on the regional press and they rely on these relationships. And I know it's the same at the bigger clubs, but I don't know. It's just it's just something that I'm quite intrigued by because obviously Bayern can still get away with hiring the very best coaches in the world because a lot of them are German or German-speaking. But Borussia Dortmund, as we're, as we're now looking at, are quite limited in terms of who they can sign if they're not going to kind of put the boat out and sign a non-German speaker because yeah. Marco Rosa was such a hassle to hire and I think this is it's played a huge part in you know probably ultimately why he lost his job because when he was because because he because he was such a 
because it took so much effort to hire him from Gladbach, and because Gladbach were so determined to not let him go, it led to so much blood, blood, blood between Marco Rosa and Gladbach, and it led to a lot of bad blood between Rosa and the Dortmund fans, because Dortmund fans, by the end of it, were thinking, why the hell are we hiring this guy? Because his, his, his last season at Gladbach fell apart, um, and his stock was so low by the time he joined Dortmund. And really, the only reason why Gladbach was so determined to hold on to him and why Dortmund were so determined to try and sign him is because he was deemed a good German-speaking head coach. And these guys are worth their weight in gold right now in the Bundesliga. Yeah. Um, whereas Dortmund could have probably signed half a dozen coaches from around Europe who don't speak German, but would have probably done just as good a job as Rosa, if not a better one. Um, and, it, and it does kind of add a lot of intrigue to the Terzic signing um, it's it's such a weird signing. Um, it's one of those ones that's surprising and not surprising at all because yeah. it's something that I think a lot of us have kind of assumed would happen sooner or later just because Terzic has kind of always been there. He's always been Sebastian Kell's guy. Um, you know, I was really impressed with the way that Kell has kind of conducted his transfer business this summer. It seems like he's really kind of got the bit between his teeth. He knows who he wants. He knows how to sign them. Uh, you know, the club have now signed that Cologne midfielder as well. I think today, I think that was announced today. Just the latest in a long, exactly. The latest in a long, a growing list of impressive players uh, that should help the club kind of get back on their feet. You but know, I really wasn't expecting. You, you and I should have known that when Erskan and the way it was communicated to us, that something was, a, that something was afoot. Now that I think back of it, because Eskan and uh, Terzic have the same agent. Hmm. Well, yeah, that, that would make sense. I think the thing that really stood out to me, which kind of summed up how weird the situation was, that Adeyemi has already given an interview and he was asked about Marco Rosa and he said, well, look, I didn't know he was getting sacked, but if that's the club, if that's the decision the club want to take, then so be it. And it's yeah. it's, it's just so bizarre. Schlotterbeck said something similar. As well, so yeah, it's so bizarre. Imagine you're a young player coming to join Dortmund, and I know I guess players should get used to head coaches coming and going, but the head coach that's in charge is a huge factor in why any player would join any club. And for Adeyemi and Schlotterbeck to both arrive on day one to training, I know they're not there yet, but and the head, a different guys in charge from the one that they thought they'd be playing under, um, it's it's such an odd move. It's such an odd move, and. I, I, I don't actually think giving Terzic the job is a bad idea. We've all seen how he did last season. He's Dortmund through and through. The fans love him. He he had he's great optics. But the thing that really intrigues me, and I think the thing that Dortmund have to be careful with here is that the way that Sebastian Kehl has sacked Rosa and brought Terzic in, it means that he's now tied his colours to Terzic's mast. You know, he's 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 decided, right, I need to kind of play my cards now. I need to go all in and I'm going to give this guy the job. This is the guy that I want to have the job. I'm going to make sure he gets the job. Yeah. Even if it does maybe potentially confuse or upset some of the new guys coming in, potentially upset some of the older guys who I'm trying to get rid of. Um, but it means... Everything to do with a squad is my design because, you know, Rosa wasn't Sebastian Kiel's appointment as far as I know. Um, and it now means 
Kel, Kintar Runcy, Luke, Dortmund are now starting unequivocally with a clean slate this season. But the downside to that is that if Terzic trips and falls and by Christmas they're fifth or sixth, everything's going to be on Kale's on Kale's head here because no one's going to blame Terzic who's had, what, half a season of senior management under his belt. No one's really going to blame him if this doesn't work out because he's a young coach. Uh, he had a good show of it as an interim head coach, which I never really think is a good way of judging coaches where they do well or don't do well. Hmm. But it's a first proper senior role at this level of football. And if things don't work out, no one's really going to blame Terzic, but they will blame Sebastian Kale because Sebastian Kale decided to knock down his house of cards to build his own one. Yeah. And that means all of the responsibility now falls on him. I do think it's interesting that on the press release, Watzkid, Soar, Kale, and Summer were all mentioned as being part of the decision-making process. Um, to make this final decision on Rosa. Also, it's interesting, apparently, at the, the meeting um, where they decided to go separate ways, it was quite a controversial discussion and it got loud at some point. So, Rosa is, and we all know his departure from Gladbach wasn't clean at all, one bit, right? And I do wonder if there was something said or done at that meeting. Dortmund and Rosa both went into this meeting thinking that by the end of this meeting, they will still be working together. But that there's something must have been said or communicated that made it impossible for them to go on. And I think that at that meeting, all the people in the press release were probably there. So I think Sorg was still there. Watzke was still there. Uh, and Summer, who not always gets mentioned, um, was of course the consultant, head consultant of the club, and I was also there. And I find that interesting. Of course, we never know what was going, what was said, and what was done. Um, would love to be, a, would have loved to be a fly on the wall for that one, but um, mm-hmm. I do wonder. Do, do, <laughs> do you know what this reminds me of a little bit? It reminds me of The Godfather yeah. when. You know the scene when Michael is at his goddaughter, I think, baptism, and everything, and it's like a, it's a monologue. Or it's not a monologue. It's a, it's a, um, what do you call it? It's a, it's a, what's the word? It's not a segue. Why can't I? Th- montage. Sorry, it's a yeah. montage, and it keeps cutting to all his enemies getting murdered one by one, <laughs> and everything. And basically, he's sitting there very calm. And every like his empire has been built around him, and I wonder if Sebastian Kell kind of felt the same way at that final home game of the season when that huge tifo uh, to Zork went up, and you know the fans are celebrating. But really, what's going on in the background is that Erling Haaland he's off, Michael Zork he's off, Sebastian Kell is taking one look at Marco Rosa, and in his head he's like he's off as well. Um, and you know he's quietly but surely like just like beheading his 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 adversaries and establishing his ultimate control of the club you know if i was if i was vatska i'd be i would have got a plane ticket to cuba or something by now if i was him because clearly <laughs> sebastian sebastian kale is not taking any shit and you know he's quite happy to just kind of rule with an iron fist 
which do you know what is exactly what Dortmund fans have been crying out for for years. They've been crying out for something different. They've been crying out for someone to just roll up their sleeves and get the job done. And if Kale has to crack a few eggs to make a nice big black and white, black and yellow omelette, then so be it. But mm. I think ultimately he will be judged on because because these are all his dramatic decisions. He will be judged on them. So it'll be interesting to see if he's ultimately made the right move. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Um, I think this is this is something that we're probably going to talk about for quite some time. I think my final thoughts on this is we always knew this move was going to happen the moment Terzic ended up staying, become technical director of Dortmund by the end of last season. Mm-hmm. It was always looming over Rose, and it took one year uh, for the axe to fall on Rose's head and uh, for Terzic to take the very position that we all knew he would take anyways. Um, and I think that's maybe Kill thought I'm going to do this anyways. I might as well do it now. <laughs> you know, it's a cruel business. And um, if you but already, if you already know, a, sorry, I was going to say it's a cruel business, but it makes for a fantastic summer transfer window. It does, and we're, we're honestly we have so much still to discuss. Um, we're going to have another excellent episode coming later this week. I think when we know. Who's going to be the 18th team in the Bundesliga next season? Um, we're going to find out tonight, mm-hmm. Stefan, um, by the time we record it. And then um, we're going to take it from there and record about that and all the other stuff that's happening in the window. Um, but yeah, it's going to be fun. Anyways, as always, uh, the show is brought to you by our partners, Bet Online. And uh, we'll be back soon with another show. This has been fun and um, really enjoyed this. It's been a great weekend. It's been a lot of fun last week. And we'll be back soon. And until then, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.